will toss. Here comes a gadget play. Randall L. He can throw. He was a quarterback in college. And he's thrown a touchdown to Heinz Ward in the Super Bowl. It is March 8th, 2011, live from Buffalo, New York. We are the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett, along with my co-host, Donald Russ. How are you doing tonight, Donnie? Excellent. How are you? It is Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, Louisiana. We want to wish all of our Louisiana listeners a safe and fun Fat Tuesday as they kick off Mardi Gras. Right? That's what Fat Tuesday is, right? The kickoff of Mardi Gras? Or is it just... It, it, it is Mardi Gras. Yeah, it's yeah. like the last hurrah before uh, Lent, I believe. Right, Lent is coming up. Yeah, to get your, tomorrow. Get your ass ashes. <laughs> All right, busy show, very busy show. We got Dave Damashek on, first uh, guest to be up here two times on the Sportscasters. Dave's going to come on and clear some things up about what's going on with the brand that is Dave Damashek. And after that, we're going to have Greg Wyshynski, uh from the Sportscaster or from the uh, Puck Daddy blog on YahooSports.com. He's going to talk about the resurgent New Jersey Devils, 22-2 and two yep. in the last 24 games. It's funny. We had him on about six weeks ago with Shinsky, and we were talking to him about what the Devils would do at the first overall pick in the draft. And tonight we're going to talk to him about whether or not the Devils can finish off the job and come all the way back from dead to playoffs. And we'll also talk with him about all things hockey. Should be a good, good discussion. Also, um, Sportscasters at the Movies is back. Uh, all of the uh, kind of talk about Charlie Sheen had me inspired inspired to watch Major League again. And uh, I talked to you and you had just watched it. So the Sportscasters at the Movies, a little bit later, we'll talk a little bit about Major League. I wrote down some notes uh, for that. Of course, we got pick four at the end of the show, which is not going very good for me. I've actually... For the first time in the history of the podcast, I'm not in the lead. Yeah, I'm pumped. <laughs> All right, a couple, uh, couple of things, a couple of business before we get going. Uh, the blog is going great. I love the blog. It's really fun to write. There's all kinds of random stuff on there, links and pictures. And Donnie did a great recap of the trade deadline. We're waiting for him to come back, but I'm sure he's, <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's plotting something, yep. something mysterious. Uh, you can find that at thesportscasters.blogspot.com You can also check out our website. It's uh, www.sports-casters.com That's sports-casters.com You can email us anytime you want. It's thesportscasters at gmail.com And one thing that's kind of slowed down a little bit that I want to kind of pick back up a little bit is our Facebook page. Um, You can like us on Facebook and the address for that is facebook.com slash the Sportscasters. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So find us on Facebook. Find us on the web. The book club's going on. The book club is really fun. Um, this month we're doing the Greatest American Sports Writing Series. And I actually got in touch with the editor of that, Glenn Stout. And he's going to join us April 5th awesome. to talk about uh, the book club as we conclude. And also one other note, uh, Jonah Carey, who was a guest... Um, when was Jonah Carey on? Has he been on yet? No, not on our podcast. Oh, no, he no. hasn't been on yet. But he will be a guest on March 22nd. And his book, The Extra 2%, came out today, March 8th. 
So I recommend you pick that up. It's a really good podcast. One other thing, I don't know if we got any new listeners from the Buffalo Wings, but uh, Eric Hawk, the president of the Wings, was nice enough to include us in his uh, in his newsletter and hopefully get some new listeners that way. And I wanted to just make sure that our old listeners know about the Buffalo Wings. They just actually broke a, a Guinness World Record for the longest consecutive hockey game. Hockey game. Yep. They played for 27 straight hours at the Keenan Center. So congratulations to everyone at the Buffalo Wings for that. And their website is www.buffalowingshockey.com. Make sure to check that out. They're getting ready to register for the summer uh, leagues, and we'll talk more about that. And, and sometime over the summer, I think we're going to have a kind of separate to the regular weekly podcast. We're going to have a Wings-only podcast uh, for people who love the Wings and remember the podcast All Things Wings from a couple summers ago. So that's something to look forward to. But we got a lot to do, so let's get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, three things for March 8th, 2011. I'm going to start it off this week because I'm kind of aggravated with something, and that's the Miami Heat and their big three. I think it's a complete joke. Get this, Donnie. If the Miami Heat finish the season 19-0, and and only if they finish the, 19, the season 19-0, and will they have more wins than LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers won last season, 61 that's that's incredible considering how bad Cleveland is. They're 0 and 8 against Boston, San Antonio, Chicago and Dallas. The best teams in the league, 0 and 8 against them. They're 5 and 12 in games decided by 5 points or less. On national TV last week they blew a 24 point lead against the Orlando Magic. Yep. LeBron James missed a wide open 3 at the buzzer that would have helped them survive an 18 and 0 fourth quarter run. And just the other day, LeBron James was another potential winning shot against the Chicago Bulls, and his coach came out and said that he was crying in the locker room. Yeah, yep. This team's a joke. Joe Poznanski, our friend, wrote a great column. Yeah, I was going to say that. I read some about how fun it is to root against LeBron James and the Orlando Magic, and I just want to say I am on board with that. Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to actually do my things out of order here. My number two thing was, uh, now my number one, is are the Miami Heat now the most hated team in all of sports? Oh, they're number one on my list right now. I mean, who would you say it was before that? Maybe the Yankees? Well, yeah, I mean, from a national perspective, right, I think right. the Yankees tend to be quite hated or very, very loved. Right, right. I, I think they're very unique that way, where they're probably as equally hated as they are loved, sort of almost like a race car driver, like Dale Earnhardt when he was, a lot, was alive, was like, the most loved and the most hated right. at the same time. I think the Yankees are like that, but I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination, the Heat are as loved as they are hated. No, that's true. That's true for sure. But yeah, people seem to love to hate on them. Like every website, uh, Joe, uh, that's what Poznanski's article was all about, was yep. how easy they are to be unlikable. Uh, is it Stan Van Gundy? He had a quote saying, like, if you don't want people to scrutinize your every move, don't throw a celebration before the season even starts about yeah. how great you're going to be. So 
Yeah, I think they might be the most heated team in all of sports. Or hated team in all of sports. Uh, sign me up for that. I mean, LeBron James just basically s- stuck a knife in the back of Cleveland, where he's from, to go down there and you know take his talents to South Beach, which I think is one of the most hated phrases oh, in yeah. the history of sports. Oh, yeah. You know, with the whole decision show, which was an absolute joke. And, you know, he even with... Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and his team, like I said, they need to win 19 straight games at the finish to, to equal what the uh, lowly Cleveland Cavs did, did last year. Yeah. So I can't wait to root against them. I hope, they're, I hope they lose in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> All right, my number two, podcasts. They're really fun. We, we enjoy doing them. Hopefully people enjoy listening to them. I enjoy listening to them. And the, always the negative when I talk to people about podcasts was – it's kind of a pain. You got, you got to download them onto iTunes, and then you got to take your iPad or your iPod, and you got to sync it up, and you got to transfer it, and it takes up a lot of data, yada, yada, yada. Well, it's getting easier and easier to listen to podcasts, and two easy ways to listen to it is an app called Instacast or Pocket Casts. They're two different apps. Uh, they're both available in the, app, the Apple iTunes store. And the cool thing about them is they enable you to subscribe to a podcast without downloading everything. And then by simply refreshing that podcast, you can get the newest, newest episodes and listen to them. So it's really, really convenient. It's called Instacast and Pocketcast. I know Donnie's going to check out the Droid Marketplace and see if there's anything similar for the Android. Well, I was just going to say, I know Corolla, uh, he used an app called Stitcher, which if the only thing was that you couldn't subscribe to anything. I think it was like who was like people that were in the like the Stitcher network. But what was cool about that is his podcast. Like he would do like an extra ten minutes after the regular podcast for people that were listening on Stitcher. And also Google Listen offers it's basically just like a podcast subscription service, and you can refresh your subscriptions. You can pick how many you want uh, to be up there. Google Listen I don't think allows you to stream them, whereas Stitcher does. So kind of like what you're saying, you don't have to wait for downloads. Right, yeah, Instacast and Pocketcasts both allow for streaming, and they're both really great. I, I just highly recommend you check one out. It makes podcasting easier, and kind of a story about just how easy it is is uh, I went out with my girlfriend Tammy and her parents last week uh, for her mom's birthday. And when we got back to the house, we were kind of talking we got to talking about the podcast and I was able to just take out my phone and, you know, I showed her dad the podcast with Instacast and it was really cool. I mean, it, dis- it displays the podcast really beautifully and it's easy to refresh. It's easy to listen to. It's easy to subscribe to anything you want. So I highly recommend Instacast or Pocketcast if you're an iPhone or iPad user. My second thing this week, uh, my eyes have been opened to a new sport in, by, of all people, the Weather Network, who I've never heard of before, but theweathernetwork.com. They were talking about, uh, in Canada, the, the first ever Canadian Yukigasen championships took place in Edmonton. Mm. What that roughly translated in Japanese, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, is snow battle. It's literally a league for snowball fighting. Nice. And these guys have like jerseys and helmets, and they look legit. And I have with me the uh, Yukigasen Canada Rules and Regulation Guidelines, and I'm going to show, uh, share with you some of my favorite rules. Equipment. The diameter of each snowball shall be 2.5 to 2.75 inches. Each team will be responsible for making their own snowballs prior to each match under the supervision of officials. 
Officials can decide at any time to make and distribute snowballs themselves. So that's interesting. <laughs> Something we've always done as kids, having snowball fights. There's now regulations to the size of the snowballs. And also snowball handling. There's a section on snowball handling, section 9, page 7 of the 13-page rulebook. 270 snowballs are used per team per match, or for 540 in total. 90 snowballs for each team for each of three periods. Snowballs that have been picked up during the match and are two-thirds of a whole snowball may be reused. Hmm. Loose snow may not be used to make new snowballs or to repair broken snowballs. Players can hand snowballs to their own teammates or roll them across the, the court to their teammates. Players cannot throw snowballs to their own teammates. So it's very interesting. It looks a lot like uh, paintball, but with snowballs. I would actually watch that. I mean, probably not a, not like a whole season of it, but I would watch a match of that. Well, I have some questions. I don't know if you're going to know the answers to them. Probably but maybe not. You I didn't read your the rule book. Maybe. What What do they play on? Do they play on like a snowy field? They play on a 40 meter by 10 meter field, complete with uh, five shelters on each side. Nope, five total shelters, which are just kind of from the pictures looks like things to hide behind. Okay. And two chateaus, which are larger shelters that I think maybe you start in or can hide out in. How is it scored? With hits? That, I'm not sure. You would think I would have looked up how the game actually plays. But, uh, oh, I know I do know this. It's played like capture the flag. It's either when your team's eliminated or you capture the other team's flag. Huh. Yep. So you can go anywhere on the court. You can run anywhere, yep. But but if you get lit up, you're out. You're out. You're out. Uh it's almost like dodgeball. A period will end when one of the following. A team pulls out the opposing team's flag. A team pulls out its own flag, which sounds like there'd be a huge accident, but you lose that period 0 to 10. So that sounds like a pretty rough <laughs> Don't do that. Rough way to go. Yeah. Uh, all of one team's players are declared out. A signal from the official when the time, there's three-minute periods, runs out. Or if a game has been ended due to fouls, <laughs> which I'm not sure what are fouls either. Maybe a headshot. A uh, player does not accept being called out as a foul or protesting a call. player okay. commits a dangerous act such as tripping. Ooh. Uh, if an athlete interrupts a match, like from the sideline, yeah. if a player acts unruly, if an athlete flies or commits a false start, don't know what that is, if a team has too many snowballs for the period. So there's really someone counting snowballs the whole time, huh? Where can we find this? This, um, There actually is a website. I got this at, I think it's... Uh, Canada. I'm sure if you Google com. that, there's not going to be many hits. So right. Y-U-K-I-G-A-S-S-E-N Canada. So yeah, there's a snowball league out there. Fun. Yeah, it does sound fun. And it's, since it's a Japanese word, I imagine it started in Japan. So maybe Canada just kind of picked this up. and Yeah, Yukigasen, Canada. I just easily pulled it up. <laughs> The internet uh, never fails to teach me new things. All right, number three for me. Tiki Barber, you are a disaster. Oh, no, it's mine too. What are you doing with your life, Tiki? Uh, Tiki Barber obviously retired after the 2006 season, and he was supposed to be the next big thing on television, but Tiki got a divorce in 2010, his wife of 11 years, because he knocked up a 23-year-old NBC intern. Yeah. He was then fired morality clause. because of the morality clause, yeah. which we've heard about a few times in the last couple of weeks. Fired by NBC, lost his $300,000 per, per year job. Uh, supposedly, he's broke. He can't pay the settlement to his wife, so he needs to raise some money, and uh, he's coming back. 
Coming back to football, apparently. Yeah, that was my take, too, which is uh, incredible. I, I saw someone wrote on Twitter that the oldest running backs in the league now are Kevin Falk and Fred Taylor, who are both 34. So Tiki Barber... And he's going to be 36. going to be 36, and he's a full four years removed from the league. He's, I, it, it's a money grab. I guess he doesn't have money to pay back what he owes his wife or whatever. Right, for, it's kind of <laughs> like what Ricky Williams did. Right, I mean, the, nobody doubts that Ricky Williams would have stayed retired forever if he didn't have to pay back. They were going to make him pay back his bonus, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, this since that was your third thing. As an aside, uh, today is I'm not sure which anniversary, but today is the anniversary of Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi's punch on Steve Moore, who has never seven played seven years, seven years, and Bertuzzi's still playing, going strong. And I know we've talked about Vic in the past, and people pay their dues and get to move on, but. Man, that's a tough one. He wrecked the guy's career, you know. The, I, it's still held up in the courts in Canada. The guy hasn't had a settlement or anything. Oh, it yet. is really. Yeah, I, I knew he tried. I know he he took it to the courts. Yeah, I didn't know it was it's still, still held, held up. up and going through just all the bureaucracies of the courts in Canada. I was gonna, I have that on my notes. We'll talk more about Puck, to, to Buck Daddy about that. He did write something about it today. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of for the keep the courts out of sports thing, but. Maybe the NHL needs to have a rule where, if, like, an eye for an eye a little bit. If you injure a guy for that long, maybe some of your salary has to go to him or something. But just a r- rough day. I remember exactly. It's one of them weird things. You remember where you were when I saw it. I was uh, in the lobby at the uh, Wheatfield Blades Arena, whatever that's called. That's a Pepsi the, uh, It's called the Hockey Outlet. Hockey Outlet, that's mm-hmm. right. I was waiting for my brother to come out of his game. Yeah, that was no good. That was really bad. So that's three things for today. I think we even had some bonus uh, three things. Okay, so here's what's on tap. We're done with three things. We're done with the intro. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Dave Damashek. Talk to the great Dave Damashek. Find out what's going on with the Czech Republic. After that, we're going to come back. We're going to do the sportscasters at the movies. And then we're going to talk to Wyshynski and then finish up with pick four. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, we'll be right back with the great Dave Damashek. Our next guest was born on the banks of the Three Rivers in beautiful Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he is a graduate of the Indiana University with a degree in broadcast journalism. Currently, he is a fantasy football analyst on NFL.com, writing columns, shooting videos, and appearing on NFL Fantasy Live. He is a pioneer in the podcasting industry, having hosted the popular Damashek On Demand podcast for ESPN and the just-completed Daves of Thunder podcast on the Ace Radio Network. He is an accomplished television writer working on Comedy Central hits The Man Show and BattleBots. His other television work <laughs> includes Sports Geniuses and Crank Yankers. And currently, he is producing pages at Jimmy Kimmel Live. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Dave Damashek. How are you doing today, Dave? Well, I'm swell, I, although I don't know when you read that resume if I should be proud or embarrassed. <laughs> but either way, thank you. Thank you, as always, for having me, fellas. And uh, may I say... Continued congratulations on uh, the astounding success of your podcast. I I'm embarrassed by the uh, the rich company I get to keep on here. You guys have a a star-studded uh, cast of guests rolling through your show. Yeah, well, you know, we work hard on the guests, Dave. I mean, we've been doing pretty good with writers, but we're doing terrible with athletes. So hmm. we got uh, we got a ways to go, but we're working hard, and we're 
we think that you're one of our, I think actually Don has in his bio that his favorite guest so far has been the great Dave Damashek. I well, said, I'm not surprised to hear that. I said Richard Deitch, but yeah. <laughs> And I love BattleBots, Dave. <laughs> Nothing to be embarrassed hey, about there. How can you argue? I mean, they see the the thing is, is that they're robots. You understand, but they don't like one another, so they was, fight a lot. Was right? that, I was, that, that was pretty much it. What's not to like about that? It? Was you? Was that the Sklar Brothers one, or was that the other one? Yeah, the Scar. I, I actually didn't uh, do it. I think I did. What did I do? Two seasons of that show, and uh, yeah, I don't think the Sklar Brothers. We're on either one. I was with Carmen Electra ah, on, on one year, and then another year I was on there with Arge Barker, who okay. you may know as Dave from, uh, um, from uh, what was the name of the show? The great HBO show, the um, Flight of the, uh, Flight of the Flight Concords. Of the Concords. Right, right. Interesting. You know, the, the stoner guy who worked behind the counter at the store, if you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, mm-hmm. enough about BattleBots. <laughs> All right, well, I think the first thing we have to do is kind of just a – State of the Czech Republic. I, I, everyone on Damashek.com has kind of got their panties in a knot and is all going crazy about the end of uh, Days of Thunder. What, what do you want to say about what happened uh, at the ACE Broadcasting Network? You wouldn't, well, you wouldn't call I mean, it I a think, firing, I think, right? I think you're accurate in saying that I'm a pioneer in the podcast industry because I don't know anyone else who's ever gotten fired for doing free work i mean it's well there was that one seinfeld episode when kramer remember he goes into work and he gets fired at the end yep and they say uh you know we, we have to let you go mr kramer and he said but i, I don't actually even work here and the guy said uh, yeah that's what makes it so tough so that's that's sort of that's sort of how it is for me no um uh yeah it was it was it's it, uh, first of all may i say on the subject i feel I feel flattered more than anything that people care at all about the hooey and applesauce that my pal Feeney and I were doing. And the podcast was, was I thought, very good. And, in fact, I thought it was exceptional because specifically of David Feeney's contributions. But because David Feeney is an exceptional talent, he's in great demand in, in the business of show out here in Hollywood. And so we, you know, we respectively got very busy and, you know, there were two and a half months where we were literally both separately from one another working, you know, six, seven days a week. And we just couldn't do the podcast and that ruffled feathers over there. And I think they wanted a commitment that we were definitely going to be able to do one a week. And, you know, we just, uh, you know, we just had to keep paying the bills, as it were, kept, ma- right. you know, keep, uh, keep um, you know, working on the stuff that we were getting paid to do. And I think they wanted a uh, stronger commitment in terms of, uh, you know, what the future was going to be and everything. And, you know, I, I, I can now say, I, you know, I, I'll be vague about it, but part of the, the tie up for me going forward is I've been, you know, you may, as you mentioned, I've been doing stuff with the NFL and as, uh, De, you know, Demoris Smith and, uh, Kamish Goodell try to hash out their differences. It right. seems one thing they agree on is that uh, Damashek should be <laughs> doing some podcasting at the NFL. And so, um, you know, probably even before they resolve their differences, I'll probably get cracking on doing a uh, an NFL-related podcast, which I guess is good news because I always feel like about half the people like the sports talk out of me and then the other half like the David Feeney, their Feensters Union, as we called them on right. the uh, Dave's of Thunder show. The comedy snobs, the Feensters Union people liked uh, like the comedy stuff, which of course I did too. And uh, I don't think uh, I've ever done a show 
as good as what uh, what I did with David Feeney. But um, you know, but but I love yapping about the sports and such, and specifically football. So it looks like I'm going to be doing that very soon. I don't have a uh, you know a formal date or anything like that, or any real details on it, other than to say that I bet I'll be talking about football, and I bet there will be. Um, I bet I'll also work in some other hooey and applesauce. I can't help myself. You know, right. I can't help but draw analogies between the state of pro football and predator, let's say. So <laughs> anyway, we'll be doing that. And then uh, I do think, you know, it's so nice. Like I say, I can't believe I'm overwhelmed by how nice everyone is with the with the emails and the tweets and everything else. And in fact, it's well, it's somewhere between flattering and kind of uh, disturbing <laughs> the intensity of these these notes that I've been getting. But um I do think, yeah, well, you know, Feeney, sort of like, you know, Arrested Development. You always hear that they are, they're doing a movie at some point, and you hear the Sopranos might do a movie. And I think I compare Days of Thunder to Arrested Development and the Sopranos because I think it was the same quality as those two shows. No, Absolutely. I kid. No, it was not as good as those two shows. But I do think, you know, well, we'll do specials. Sort of like, remember when the Brady Bunch did their Christmas specials and yeah, Hawaii, the Brady right? girls get married and stuff? You know, I think we'll uh, we'll be able to hook up uh, me and uh, my pal Feeney and maybe Jacuzzi Pete and everybody, and we'll do some shows here and there. We'll see what happens along the way. But so- nothing formalized yet, but... Uh, like I say, the good news is we'll we'll uh, we'll keep making our our noise for you in in one way or the other, and we'll definitely get David Feeney on the NFL podcast uh, once that gets going periodically. So just to calm everybody down, there's no reason to be upset with the Ace Broadcasting Network or have a boycott or flood the Wees with emails or anything like that. Is there? <laughs> well, I will say no. I no. I I don't I I don't, uh, I, I don't uh, see a need for. The unnecessary acrimony, which I think has uh, sort of happened from, you know, I, uh, there, there's been some unnecessary stuff. It feels like, you know, that, uh, you know, some, uh, but yes, I, you know, for the sake of Adam Carolla and, uh, you know, what he's trying to do, there's no reason to try and disrupt his, his, uh, his fine work there. So, yes, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the, the business decision, as they say, they want shows steadily. We could not assure them that we would steadily provide them shows. So, as uh, as Louise has said, it was a business decision, and uh, and we'll go from there. Right. So, the future of this at Czech Republic is still bright. We got some exciting stuff going to be happening with the NFL.com. Yeah, well, that I mean, my great. typical rate is about, you know, six months to a year <laughs> per in <job>. one place, <laughs> if I'm lucky. Sometimes I go three weeks. But usually, I go about six months to a year, and then I move on from there. You know, this year, I, my goal... Hear me now. Hear me now, sportscasters. My goal this year is to make it 13 months. 13 That's months. That's it. And beyond that, that, that would be pie in the sky and too much to ask for. So well, I'm setting my sights on 13 months. This is the longest run of podcasting I'll ever do in one place. Right, I'm writing that down. <laughs> now, you, you had said that you recently uh, hooked this up with the NFL Network. So you're not worried about the lockout then? If the lockout happens, there'll still be a podcast? Or if the lockout well, happens, are they going to start shredding you know, employees and start with the Damashek? Or are you well, up? I don't think anyone's confusing me with, uh, with the, the NFL Network's Jason Luckin 4 or anyone who does actual reporting. You know, I, I mean, I, like I say, I tend, to, uh, I tend to get into a bunch of foolishness. So, in other words, the off-season equals Damashek season. That's, you know, listen, there are plenty of people who can break down the X's and O's for you. I'll, I'll do all the rest for you. So, yeah, I think that, um, I think the, you know, the spring and summer months and 
all that sort of jazz when the fans are getting ready because after all that's what I consider myself as a fan not a a journalist so yes I think we'll we'll all have a good time kibitzing about all the uh the stupid stuff that I ruminate on and uh, you know as I as I sit and watch tv uh way too late into the into the nighttime each night and we'll just uh, we'll do what we've always done with our podcast just talk about a bunch of nonsense Awesome. So that's that's really exciting. Uh, I think right now they just have the Rich Eisen podcast, right? So you're going to be kind of kind of expanding that that. Yeah. Realm now, is is a, yeah, Eisen's is a is a professional job. I mean, he has <laughs> uh, you know a list Hollywood types in there. You know, I'm going to bring in my chums as I always do. My my usual cast of characters to to uh, you know recklessly speculate about a bunch of stuff with uh, with misinformation and half truths. <laughs> that's basically the way I like to operate. All right. Well, what what let's talk more about Damashek the fan. Then you're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, I assume. How do you feel about Pitt's chances? I know you you tend to tend to favor Pitt over Indiana right now in the in the college. Yeah. Basketball. As a matter of fact, I meant to condemn you for starting. Well, not condemn you, but the Indiana <laughs> University fight song is fine, and it's uh, I enjoy it for nostalgic purposes. But um, yes, my heart is fully with uh, the Pitt Panthers these days, and has been since Coach Knight was rudely shown the door uh, many moons ago now for the Neil Reed strangling debacle or choking debacle. <laughs> I've been with the Pitt Panthers. And, um, yeah, you know, listen, I, I'm of two minds with this Pitt basketball program. On one hand, they should be lauded nationally for a 13-year run that starts with Ben Howell and now with UCLA and continued and, in fact, maybe even built up even further by Jamie Dixon. But it's really hard to applaud them too much when they haven't gotten to a final four yet in 13 years in spite of being pretty close to the top 10 just about every year and always in the mix for the uh for the big east crown the i think hard to question the the most rugged conference in in college hoops at least over the last decade and and probably even over the last 30 years but um so yeah listen i think college basketball right now the way it's structured the one and done kids it's sort of tailor-made for this pit team to make a run. They've never been built around future NBA lottery picks. And so, um, you know, with, a, with that sort of um, lack of consistency among, you know, the blue chippers with Carolina and Duke and all the, the usual suspects, I think Pitt is positioned to make a deep run there. They, as usual, play great defense and, and uh, the, the things you usually think about when you think about Pitt. But I think this year they, they legitimately have a few scores. They have some interior scoring. They have some, obviously, with Ashton Gibbs in particular, some great perimeter scoring. They can go deep. I can't wait to see how they screw it up this time. <laughs> well, they should. I would. I can't imagine the committee not rewarding them with a one seed. It seems like they're they're they pretty much have a one seed locked up. I definitely no worse than a two seed, but yeah, you can't. Well, you can't. You, you can hardly play a tougher schedule than what they. Did and you know they played Texas and beat Texas yep. back in uh, I guess it was December at some point they knocked off Texas who's also you know been in contention pretty much all season for a one seed and then beyond that obviously they you know beaten UConn Notre Dame and Georgetown and every name you can come up with in the Big East yeah there I, I I unless something crazy happens unless they you know lose by double digits in their first round game in the in the Big East and a team like Duke ran the table, which is doable for a team like that in the ACC. Even if that happened, though, I would still cry injustice, unfair, <laughs> shame, and so on, because the ACC is garbage. There there are 
exactly two good teams in the ACC. The Big East has at least 10 good teams in it. So if you win that outright, if you win that conference outright over the long haul, over three months, and you don't get a one seed, then it's criminal as far as I'm concerned. San Diego State and, you know, teams like that and BYU, I think, is probably out of the mix for a one seed at this point. But right. listen, who knows those teams play compared to, you know, uh, to what Pitt went through. So, yes, Pitt certainly should be a one seed. And it seems, yeah, like BYU and San Diego State, they've really only played each other. Like you said, there's only two good teams in the um, in the ACC. And you would expect Ohio State and Kansas to get a one seed and then Pitt to get a one seed. And then the other one either be Notre Dame, Duke, or North Carolina or whoever. Maybe maybe BYU. Yeah, well, did you say you said Kansas is Kansas, definitely yeah, in there Kansas, and so if Texas Ohio were to State. run the table? In the Big 12 conference, wonder if they might squeak in there. I don't know about Maybe. that. They have six losses, so yeah, it's tough. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, if Notre Dame, if Pitt went out in the first round of the Big East and Notre Dame Won ran the table and right. went all the way, then I think it would be hard to say Pitt ahead of that team. You know, considering Notre Dame went into Pitt and and beat them, and that's a pretty rare thing that a team goes into Pittsburgh and beats them on their home floor. So I guess you could, in that case, say that Notre Dame deserves it. But outside of that, I, re- I mean, I would have a very hard time swallowing Duke or North Carolina jumping over Pitt no matter what happens. A few weeks ago when we started to get into kind of college basketball mode, it seems like, I don't know if you're this kind of fan because you have a team. I mean, I'm a big Oklahoma fan, but they've given me no reason to watch college basketball at all this year. But it seems like you get into this mode where you start saying, all right, I got to fill out that bracket soon. I don't want to embarrass myself. And you start paying more and more attention to college basketball. And I've been really impressed by Ohio State. I watched the whole Ohio State-Wisconsin game uh, last weekend. And I think Kansas is fantastic as always. I'm a little surprised by how good Notre Dame is. Um, I think San Diego State is not even a Sweet 16 team. I'm not impressed by them at all. But who impresses you, Damashek? Who have you been able to gaze your eyes upon? And who, who do you think could make a really good run in the tournament besides the obvious the obvious teams that we've named. Well, first of all, you know, it's 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 inaccurate to say people always accuse me of being biased for my teams and in <laughs> fact the opposite is true. I think any real fan, any true die-hard fan, not someone who has a good time. I'm not saying this is the right way to be, by the way. I can't help it that I've been watching my teams for, you know, for 30 some odd years now. And so I'm so deeply invested in them. There's no pleasure in it at all for me. It's all it's all misery of one form or another. Either my team loses and they break my heart and I'm devastated again, or I'm just kind of relieved. Like, oh, well, at least they survived. If Pitt goes to the Final Four, I won't be like, yes, <laughs> finally, they did it. I'll just be, I'll, all I'll think is, oh, finally, enough already. You know, the, they put me through too much, this Pitt Panther team. <laughs> but, yeah, so... I don't necessarily think they will go. I'm pessimistic generally about my team. So let's say I, I, you know, I, I, I can't get behind Pitt. But to answer your question, I like Texas. There, I, I like what they have in terms of uh, versatility, and I also love uh, I love their guards named Dogus Balbay. Oh my God, what a what a wonderful name! Um, and I like Ohio State a lot. I, I, you know, they they got it all. I love I, you know, I, I, I love. What they got going uh, in the low blocks there—that's huge. You know, I used, it used to be something that I would say, and it was and it was true for the bulk of my time watching college basketball that it was all about guard play. If you had upper class, solid guard play, you could go deep in the tournament. 
now it feels like if you have a guy who can really just bang on the interior, and we've seen that with, you know, we've seen it with Sean May, and we saw, you know, Dewan Blair make hay. If, you got, if you've got a guy who can get on the interior and dominate like that, like Ohio State can, plus then you mix in their ability to, to knock it down. What they do, 14 to 15 from three the other day? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, they're pretty complete. The only question about them is how good is the if – you, if you apply this sort of tr- uh, train of thought, and when I fill out my brackets every year – my way is always what conference is the best or what two conferences are the best and then play out the top five teams from those conferences and let them go deep. If you're ever in doubt, like, well, I did decide Big East is better than Pac-10, therefore I have to go with the Big East team against the Pac-10 team. That's how I fill out my brackets every year. So applying that, I don't know how to feel. Like Michigan State is a Wisconsin. Michigan State, I guess, is going to get in there. But they're nothing special, I don't think. Um, although, would we be surprised if T- Tom Izzo pulls off another run? But you know, Wisconsin's good. But I mean, Purdue is is flawed as good as they've been. So Ohio State is kind of my team, except for the fact that I don't really have a whole lot of faith in the Big Ten in general. So is it smoke and mirrors? Or are they legit? But I do like I, I do like the the individual pieces of that team. Now, you, you mentioned kind of uh, misery and pain from your teams, and I guess I got to know, have you recovered uh, from the Super Bowl loss? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what happened? No, nah, listen, I'm sick about it. I'm sick, I, 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 you know, I, I'm just sick in my gut over the whole thing still, you know. Listen, the, there, on one hand, I said this the other day to somebody on, uh, on another show, but, you know, I'll be a name dropper. I got to watch the game um, from the press box in the from the NFL press box, and it was just glorious because you know yeah. it's at the fifty yard line in that uh, in that nifty stadium, and you know I was flanked literally by Gil Brandt, the architect of the Cowboys of the seventies and eighties teams, those great teams, and Pat Kerwin from the NFL, and you know so I'm hearing their insights, literally better insight than you're hearing on television. The national uh, broadcasters aren't as insightful as these guys are. Um, uh, look at this, uh, and now we, we have John to be interrupted because uh, little baby Oprah just oh, bringing some flowers in from outside. Thank you, Peach. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. See, I got a nice pink flower for my, uh, for baby, my, insta- for my thoughts on uh, basketball. But um, wow. So, yeah, so I'm talking with these guys the whole game, and it was just fantastic. It was like, couldn't be a better way to watch the Super Bowl. And I said to Gil Brandt with, with two minutes to go, at the two-minute warning, I said, um, you know, if you would have told me in August with all the nonsense going on with Ben Roethlisberger and, you know, Willie Cologne, their, their right tackle was already out, you know, with the, with the rupture to kill. So you didn't know, you figured another bad year with the offensive line. Right. All the question marks with the Steelers going into the season. I said, if you would have said Steelers down six with the ball with the two ball. minutes yeah. to go and Roethlisberger's out there, I would, I would have taken it. But the other side of that coin is they were one score away from winning the Super Bowl and they didn't get it done in a game that as much as it's turned into praise for Aaron Rodgers, and, and, and deservedly so, that was still a game the Steelers could have won. If Rashard Mendenhall, the first play of the fourth quarter, he doesn't drop the ball on the ground, the Steelers very well maybe go in and take the lead and then have to protect it for the fourth quarter or at least get into a back-and-forth sort of shootout with the Packers. And, you know, I, I would like the Steelers in a fourth-quarter shootout, especially the way they were running the ball. But once Mendenhall fumbled the ball, 
there. Then they were forced into because then the Packers went down and scored a touchdown. Steelers down 11. They were forced to then throw the entire fourth quarter. And the way they were making some hay on the ground over the course of the game, if they were in a position where they could have just gotten into trying to grind that Packers defense, I think the Steelers could have won. So, yes, I'm not over it. I'm sick. I'm still sick about it. And you know what? I'll never get over it. Tell That's us how it is to be a real fan. I gotta, I gotta say, Dave, real quick, uh, that your picture that you tweeted with Clay Matthews is one of the funniest pictures <laughs> I've gotten on Twitter. That creep! I know, putting his <laughs> arm around me. Well, what about you guys? Well, you're 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 half Bills fans and half Saints fans, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm a huge Saints fan, and I was devastated by the playoff loss. It was a joke, an embarrassment, but. I'm in the it five. I'm in the five year grace period, right? I I can't I can't be mad to have a year like I had last season. You know, I almost it's it's still I can't believe it. I I still look at my Sports Illustrated commemorative issue and say <laughs> I can't believe I was able to call and it's too, you know and and subscribe to the magazine for the sole purpose of getting the commemorative football magazine. I mean, it's still a dream come true to me. Well, so, it is awesome, and uh, yeah, that, is, that was great when the Saints did it, and I was down there about a week after they did it, and there was no, there can't be a city that enjoyed a championship more than New Orleans uh, enjoyed the, the Super Bowl win. It was just great, and it, and it happened to line up perfectly with Mardi Gras and everything, yeah. so it was, uh, and it was the, the real greatest world. place in the world to be. <laughs> I don't know but if you watch the real world. The only world. place I will say, the only thing I will say is that... Uh, if you're, you know, five-year grace period, yes, you should be happy with as much misery as the Saints have put you through over your lifetime and everything. But that was a pretty bad way. Oh, that was terrible. a pretty way, bad way to go out, especially terrible. the Marshawn Lynch run. Oh, I know we'll have to praise him for the for the great run, but that was, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, how the Saints defense comes back from that, I don't know. That was a, a humiliation. The, it's not like it was Jim Brown doing that. The most humiliating part for me is all season I – praised Roman Harper. I was telling anyone who listened, Roman Harper is having such a great season. He's having a Pro Bowl season, and they did let him in the Pro Bowl for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. he absolutely was a disaster in the Seattle game. You know, I mean, he was directly responsible for at least two of the touchdowns. He was one of the guys on Marshawn Lynch's highlight reel that was getting dragged down the field. And it, it was just, it was a terrible loss. But you know what? I can still fire up YouTube and see Indiana's Tracy Porter <laughs> pick off Peyton Manning, and I do it probably once a month anyway. And well, that's one of my favorite subjects, and and you know that will be one of my goals. I, I, I you know I undertook it as as one of my main projects at the NFL this past season, and I will continue to bang the drum until I am heard. Peyton Manning is is the most overrated player in the NFL. I don't care how good he is. I don't care how well. I don't care how many records he breaks or anything. Uh, why is it that the vast majority of the mass media refuses to accept? I don't mean to sound like Sarah Palin and talk about uh, you know you know the mainstream media, but really the mainstream media, when it comes to the NFL, for some reason operates under some delusion that Peyton Manning is a flawless QB. Except they refuse to acknowledge the fact that year after year, big game after big game, he flames out. The only reason he has a Super Bowl victory is because he played Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's the only reason he ever, I mean, you know, I don't understand this thing that Peyton Manning is one of the 10 greatest NFL players of all time or is one of the three or four best quarterbacks of all time. Hooey and applesauce and fat and double fat. That's what I say his, to all of it. His team is terrible, though. They, they, would, be, they would be the worst nah. team. In, if, if you played backup quarterbacks... 
and every team, his team would be the worst team in the league. That is, you know, when people, that's one of the ones people bring up. <laughs> hey, he makes every, look what he did with Pierre Garçon and Austin Colley. Yeah, listen, he also have, has Reggie Wayne on his team, who would be a great player no matter what. He also played the bulk of his career with Marvin Lewis. Well, he has no running game. Yeah, what, what, what was Edge James? Edge James was a great runner, was, a, was, a, was one of the great runners of his era, and that was also the majority of Peyton Manning's career. The defenses have been spotty, but they've had some good defenses. The idea Bob that he's Sanders. done it with nothing is ridiculous. Tom Brady... Now, he deserves credit. He's done it with nothing with the exception of that one year when Randy Moss was focused and, and uh, playing with a chip on his shoulder. Peyton, now, he's done it with nothing. I mean, he, right. he's done it with uh, uh, Antoine Smith in the backfield and Deion Sanders and, and, and junk like that, you know, and, and mediocre defenses the last six years. I, uh, that's somebody who's done it with, with very little. And, and by the way, I hate to get onto the subject for the umpteenth time, but I will quickly say – Ben Roethlisberger does it behind a not a mediocre offensive line. He does it behind one of the five or six worst offensive lines in the NFL and has done it for the last three. He's been in two of the last three Super Bowls behind those abysmal offensive lines. But let's not look past. I want to hear from a Bills fan. <laughs> oh, what do you brother. like? Do you want Cam Newton? Do you, do you like the idea of Cam Newton? What do you want? Do you want, uh, he sounds... do you want, do you want Gabbard? Do you want uh, Von Miller? That's what I'm hearing lately is that they're going to go after the – the uh, blue chip uh, outside linebacker. I, they can go in any direction. They're terrible. I mean, Cam Newton, it just seems like there's a lot of red flags about him that really makes me nervous for a team that has not doesn't have much leadership and needs someone to point him in the right direction. I don't know if you can have a guy at the most important position that has, raises so many question marks. Like He's got all the skills, it seems like, but I don't know. I'd be nervous. I, I kind of think they should just go with the best defensive player available. They're they're awful. I kind of hear you because if they, if it, it's one of those things, the QB thing with the amount of money that you pay, and we'll see what. I don't know how it'll shake out after all this, uh, you know, labor stuff is is resolved, and you know, I don't think the rookies will probably end up making as much. But what do I know? I don't get involved in the economic stuff, but uh, I don't because I don't understand it. But uh, the you know, I if you blow it, if you take a quarterback that high and and he flames out, that's a way bigger setback than blowing another pick. You know, I'd say if CJ Spiller never really becomes great, Oof. that's not the setback that Cam Newton or Blaine Gabbard or anyone else flaming out would be for. I mean, that was, so that was yeah, I, I could see when, when Von Miller seems like a, by all accounts, uh, you know, a, a guaranteed um, success at outside linebacker. Yeah. I kind of agree with you. Take for, him. for an awful team, the bills have been too cute for their own good. A lot of times like Belichick seems, I mean, he's, he's, a genius or whatever he can get away with it the bills don't have that track record yet time and time again they go with picks like cj spiller they blow the draft every year every year last well, last time they had that was that really was terrible a red pick given he would have that to they had fred jackson he would have to be as good as thurman thomas for that pick to be worthwhile and he it, he would just hasn't shown any signs of that yet they've drafted three first round running backs since the last time they were in the in the playoffs and the last time they had a pick this high they picked mike williams from texas total bust total bust they've picked uh, Mabin, that that was a bust. So they they haven't hit on a pick in a long time. I, I think the Bills more than anything just need to they need to hit on this pick. So whoever's now, the safest, more than anything, what they need to do is they need to go back to their old uniforms. Uh, they are <laughs> changing uniforms. I they they haven't disclosed them, but they are going back to to. Uh, they they do say something about how I think they are like a throwback to the old, like it is like a like an homage, like an homage to the old jersey. So we'll see. Who knows. 
I have my fingers crossed. That that's worked sometimes and and uh, failed miserably other times. So yeah, when they try to do that hybrid, like hey, it's yeah, honoring yeah. the past. That, that that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But yes, anything would be better than the hideous getups they were wearing out in uh, in Rich Stadium the last uh, few yeah. years. The Sabers finally got it right and just went back to the old ones, basically. Yeah, there you go. That's All right, exactly so right. that's perfect. That's a perfect segue into pucks. What do you think, Dave? I know it's been a depressing year even though your team is only somehow two points out of first in the eastern conference going into play tonight but they haven't won a game in regulation in the last 14 yes i appreciate you guys um you know showing some uh you know uh, showing some restraint by not bringing up right as we speak i what dedication to your craft you're talking to me while your Sabres visit my Penguins. That's and, right. Uh, and you've not mentioned the score. Which we I have not. Because I've got it on the TiVo. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I've been saying it all season long. I think the Flyers are the, are, are the most talented bunch. And then the question, you talk about weird teams, you know, that I, I, I like the conversation from both sides. It's a, I, I like talking about, you know, Flyers – if you're a Flyers fan, it must just be the worst because for literally 25 years, they had Ron Hextall there, but he was he, he was so in his head, right. and he had a couple of runs deep into the postseason. But for the most part, it, he was you know he was too much in his own head. He was too much of a hot head, and he was so fine. He was good, and then Pelly Lindbergh, who was good, uh, died uh, very young. But um, for the most part, you know they they're, they're so loaded almost every year, and they just never get any goaltending. But then there are other. I, I like the other conversation of franchises that just seem to dominate at certain positions, no matter what. They always have good players. You have Penn State linebackers. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, really, you could say Pittsburgh Penguin centers. But yep. I mean, you know, with, with some Love of you. the skill players they've had over the years. Crosby. But yeah, the Flyers. I, I, you know, I still think they're the most talented bunch in the Wales. And um, if they get the the goaltending this year, as, as always, I think. But they have the best blue line. I think it's hard to debate. They have the best blue line, at least in the Wales. I love their skill. They have different kinds of skill players up front. But then you watch the Bruins, and boy, they they really are. As they keep people keep calling them the big bad Bruins. Those guys are monsters, mm-hmm. you know, up front and on the blue line. They're tough. Um, it really is like the top four or five teams in the conference. If you can lump the Penguins in to that group without their two best players, and are you know not arguably the sorry best about that, Dave. World, sorry, it's, it's ter- what's that? I, I just said sorry about the Tyler Myers falling on Evgeny Malkin thing. We we apologize. He, Has anybody have you have you taken my advice? We tried. We're pitch- yeah, 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 we've been, been pitching high high. the Mai Tai. We have. We've been pitching it. Really, take it to all the bars. I, like I said, I don't need any profits. Right. My reward will be knowing that you and many other uh, Buffalonians, is that what they yeah, are? Yeah, Buffalonians, yep. Buffalonians are enjoying the the time eyes. Tyler yep. Myers, that's he's going to be there for the next decade at least. You should create that. But anyway, yep. um, the only team I don't want is, as I, the Flyers are my least favorite team in, in sports. I hate them. They've caused me great agony over the decades. But I, in a way, would almost rather that they advance than the one team I can't stand is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I hate mm. That the Stanley Cup, the glorious Stanley Cup, the greatest trophy in all of sport, has now etched into it the word lightning. I hate that. <laughs> that makes me crazy. It's a, that the, the word lightning now resides in close proximity to names like Orr and Lemieux and Beliveau and so on. Now it says lightning. 
You're telling, scratched in there. You're yeah. telling us. I mean, we had to watch the uh, Hurricanes name get Steel scratched. Stanley Cup. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was no good that either. That was an all-time yep. right, right. That was grim as well. Hurricanes. Now, Carolina Hurricanes. Grim. Yeah. We, we talked to your buddy and a fellow Penguins fan, Sean Leahy, and he said he would almost like to see Crosby just shut down for the year at this point. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, as it, as it goes on, obviously there's something, you know, I, I know nothing about it. Obviously, they're 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 like the Kremlin with, uh, right. with information there. Maybe they're being as forthright as possible. Maybe there just is nothing to say except that he's his uh, you know he, he's he's not a hundred percent yet. I think that that is the way it's going to wind up, whether we like it or not. I think that's the way it's going to go. I do think, from the Penguins' perspective, there is something interesting going on there. I think that if they can conjure an extra goal a game, which is saying quite a bit, but if they can conjure one extra goal a game, I really like their blue line. Chris Letang, I yeah, said you this. Have to be I'd, like with to, him. I'd like to give myself credit. Two or three years ago, I have to be one of the first people on the face of the earth to say I think Chris Letang has a Norris trophy in his future. He's got year. the greatest wheels. He's got the, he's got skill. Now he's a, he's actually he, he plays with an edge now too. He's dynamite. There's no flaw in his game and he's just the start of it. Even though they lost uh, go go Goligowski um, in a trade that was obviously Neil. a good trade to get yep. James Neal from uh, from the Stars, not to mention uh, Niskanen, who's been pretty good since he got up to Pittsburgh as well. Their blue line is great, and you know they have you know they don't compare with the Capitals up front at this point or the Flyers because they don't have Crosby or Malkin. But you know there you could do a lot worse than than you go you know you you, you say stall. Kovalev is obviously two dimensional, or maybe even just one dimensional. But you know, he has—he's still got some skill. You can still see that. You throw Neil out there; he's legitimate. They—they they do have some punch up front, and I do think come playoff time that the blue line, and if it really then you know, as usual, it comes down to Flurry. If he's on his game and the blue line is as strong as it's been this year, I think the Pens could make some hay. If they have, the thing that they have going against them right now is they need to catch the Flyers. Because if they can't catch the Flyers, then their first round matchup Fourth. is the Capitals in all right. likelihood, and then the reward for if they whoever wins that is getting to play the Flyers in the first round. That's pretty bleak. That's pretty hard to imagine winning eight games against those two teams. Now the the probably the best thing about the Penguins is the number one penalty killing team in the league, but seventeenth rated power play. So I think if you want to find that extra goal game, the place you're going to find it is somehow they're going to have to get a little bit better on the power play, and maybe Kovalev can help there because. You know he can be one dimensional on the power play, and you can get away with it. Well, in some lean years and some decent years for the Penguins, Kovalev was out there on one of the points on the power play. If you throw him out on one point to to uh, take the place of Goligowski, and you throw Latang out there on the other point doing what he's doing, and then you know Neil is you know the bona fide you know sort of player you want there, um, right in the in the crease and you know in the slot taking up space and. You know, between you, you cobble things together again. You start talking about guys like, uh, um, if, if you Jordan Stahl Jordan out Stahl there is obviously capable of breaking through, and you know, it, it, the idea that he hasn't even had his breakthrough yet offensively is uh, is something to to consider because he's had high twenties in his career and, and as far as uh, goals go. So you know, he can break through. He's just always been a third line center, which by definition makes him not out there to score. His line mates haven't typically been guys that are going to be real productive offensively. So I think he is capable of stepping it up. And you know, they're not going to be the Penguins that won the Cup two years ago, but I think they are capable of going fairly deep because all of a sudden. 
if the Flyers' little tailspin here continues, who is scary in the in the Wales? I don't. I, you know, there, there's no team that makes me think there's no, the Penguins can't possibly beat that team. But one team, the thing that could really screw things up for the Flyers is if those Devils sneak in the back door and get that eight seed. That would be mm-hmm. one of the tougher eight seeds in uh, recent memory. Yeah, and I think the one team that maybe does scare you a little bit in a playoff series, like you said, is Boston, just because to play them is so physically demanding. Yeah. Um, and Tim Thomas is having such a great year. Uh, they could be a really, really tough team. Um, and I think, uh, you know, not to, to – but the Sabres have played really well the last 20 games, been one of the best teams in the league. And um, if, if Ryan Miller, who has really not been that great, if he could – if you can step himself up, we could we could take care of the Flyers. I think we could beat the Flyers in a seven-game series. We just won their Saturday. All right, go do it. Then. Yeah, Good we just, luck, just <laughs> won their Saturday. And do it. We just won their Saturday, so if we can uh, if we can get in. But how about the the twenty-four games that the Devils have run off? Huh? Twenty. I know. Twenty-two I mean, and two. Were you waiting for this already? I mean, didn't you see this coming? Was it really possible that they were just going to be one of the handful of worst teams in the NHL the entire season. It just made no sense that the, the bottom just completely fell out on that team. Yeah, no, I, I, you're right. It, something I still don't think they get come. to the playoffs, though. I still think no. ultimately they are going to be on the outside looking in. Yep. All right, Dave, well, we just did a solid 40 minutes or so with you. I don't want to keep you uh, keep you going too long. Uh, I know oh, I see. You're giving me the bum's rush. <laughs> you're <laughs> no, firing me, too. No, I was going to ask you if there was anything <laughs> else you wanted to cover specifically before we signed off here in a few minutes. What uh, else do we need to know about, uh, about Dave no, 2011? Uh, go ahead. Uh, D- baby at, or baby uh, Oprah and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damashek, everything's good there? Uh, John Clive Van Damashek is uh, is work. You know, he's, the foot speed. Unfortunately, I just don't think uh, you know. I don't think genetics are going to work in his favor in that regard. But I do like the grit he's shown. You know, yeah. I think he's, he's shown a lot of grit of late. He's a scrapper. He's uh, he's got good size, and and so we have some hopes in that regard for him at least. And uh, yeah, baby Oprah. You know, she's she's working more. She's more working on her paints and her crayoning right now than her oh. athletic ability. But, uh, but you know, uh, so all's, all's well on, uh, on both those counts. And otherwise, yeah, just trying to look past, trying to get over uh, what happened at the Super Bowl and look forward to a spring, you know, of, of, uh, of college hoops. But, yeah, college hoops, you know, by the way, I have to denounce quickly March Madness. Don't get sucked into it. It is not as well. Everybody badmouths the BCS. <laughs> just remember, the BCS as flawed as it is, is closer to determining who the best team in college football is than the NCAA basketball tournament does. It might be exciting, March Madness, no question. It maybe is the most exciting tournament in sports, but it is far from the greatest, uh, it's the greatest test of which team is the best. 40 minutes, 68 teams in there, one fluky 20-minute stretch where some guy you've never heard of before gets a hot hand and shoots a team that won, th- won 25 games out of the tournament. Not, not at all a test of which team is best. That's my final statement. One more thing i got to ask you about. Simmons' new project, you, no chance that you'll be a part of that in any way, contributing any columns or... Pop- no, you talk about like uh, the way the Penguins are with, uh, with the information on, on uh, Kid Crosby. Not, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't. You know, I... Uh, I, I know very little about it, and I don't think very many people do. He's very tight-lipped on the subject. But yeah, good all for I've him, heard obviously, is maybe that he's uh, um, you know able to flex his muscle and has a lot of juice if he can. 
call his own shots with ESPN and and break off and uh, and form a a little group. I mean, Klosterman obviously is good, and they do good right. work together. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. All right, Dave Damashek, thank you very very much for joining us on Sportscasters, and we'll have to have you again real soon. All right, Sportscasters, take good care. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Our next guest was born in Matawan, New Jersey, and graduated from the University of Maryland. He is the author of Glow Pucks and Ten Cent Beer, the 101 Worst Ideas in Sports History, and is working on a second book rumored to be about his beloved New Jersey Devils. He is a former editor of Sports Fan Magazine and has written for Deadspin.com and NewYorkSportsDay.com. Currently, he is the host of Puck Daddy Radio on the Score, Sirius XM Channel 98, and is the editor of the popular Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports. He's making a second appearance on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to Greg Wyshynski. How are you doing tonight, Greg? Everything you said is true. <laughs> <laughs> we try. Well researched. <laughs> exactly. So, How you doing? Uh, we're doing really good. Uh, we're both kind of in the dumps, I guess, tonight. Our teams are going to lose after putting some nice streaks together. But, you know, last time we talked to you, we were talking about what the Devils would do with the first overall pick in the draft. And since then, they've ripped off a 20 20- three and two in the last 25 what's happened in new jersey since we talked to you last well i mean they've you know i i, I think this the coaching of lemaire is one thing uh, i've i've long said and, and and i think tonight's result actually backs it up that um you know the more that they play without expectation um the the better they were playing and and for me that's the bottom line with this streak you know all due respect to what lamar's been able to accomplish is that you know Kovalchuk starts scoring left and right uh a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's no longer uh has the weight of the world on his back as far as that contract as far as playing for a new coach as far as the team struggling once you're 27 points out of the playoffs it it, it kind of changes the expectations you know so yeah. it's like it, it's it's almost like him, Ralston, a lot of these guys, I think, were able to really just start concentrating on, on playing hockey again instead of worrying about all the ancillary stuff. And now that now that they've gotten close to the uh, postseason, uh, I have a feeling that maybe the nerves are starting to kick in a little bit. Yeah, I, I saw. I don't know if you tweeted it or if it was someone else, but I saw an interesting thing about how uh, earlier in the season Kovalchuk was late to a meeting and he actually got scratched for a game against the Sabers. And then a couple of days ago, he was late for a meeting, and he just the coach kind of asked what happened, and he said, you know, I was selling the game or I was doing an interview or whatever, and just kind of let it go. So kind of just like that will show you kind of the change in, in the locker room in New Jersey. As Lemaire, was McLean really, really such a – he was a bad choice, huh? Well, no, it's, it's, it's a remarkable change. It's a remarkable change between the two, the two coaching styles. It's a remarkable change between the two coaching temperaments. I mean, the bottom line is that – for for what happened earlier in the season, you could successfully argue that that uh, had they fired McLean by the beginning of December, this would be a playoff team right now. You mm-hmm. know, and and uh, there's no question that having Lemaire come in, give them structure, both on the ice and off the ice, and 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 really sort of just steady the ship in a way that McLean couldn't. Um, that's why they are getting a sniff of the playoffs, even though it's you know I've always. Been, been one to not believe that the comeback will come all the way back, but, uh, but it's been a fun ride. Now, it, it's kind of interesting because you want to give all the credit to Lemaire for bringing the team back, but he's also the guy who hired McLean, right? 
No, 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 Lamarillo had McLean. Oh, yeah, Lamarillo, that's right. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh stepped away. He, he kind of indicated he was going to kind of retire from coaching after the uh, right. the run last year. And, and again, it's funny, um, if you want to talk about what people have forgotten, and I mean, people have forgotten that Lemire was completely ineffective in the playoffs last year as a coach. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had absolutely no answer for the Flyers. Um, it, it, was, it was almost like uh, he had run out of patience with that group of players. And, and again, you know, it's, it's not all on, on Lemire that that whole situation, he was kind of thrust into that uh, situation, much like he was thrust into this situation this season when uh, uh, Brent Sutter stepped down and, and you know, went over to uh, the Flames. So in both cases, he was kind of, uh, you know, put in a situation based on, the, you know, uh, doing a favor, I guess, for Lamarillo or, or what have you. And, and uh, you know, I think he made the best of it last year. And, of course, this year he's just been a, a revelation. The Sabres have been kind of on cloud nine, kind of like the Devils ever since the ownership change with, with uh, Terry Pagula taking over. Are you kind of surprised? I mean, I am to an extent that there – I think this is a question we might have asked you last time, but now we're back. Now it's a reality. Are you kind of surprised that – you know, he he kept the uh, the hockey structure in place with, you know, Ruff staying on as coach and Regeer especially staying on as general manager. I was, I mean, I in in hearing him talk about the team and and obviously I think he's he's been in communication with these guys for quite some time. It doesn't surprise you that he kept them in place. Um, it would it would surprise me if if things didn't turn around um, in a pretty significant way if he starts spending money and doesn't start getting results. Then it would surprise me if if the power structure was left untouched. But you know, I, I guess maybe the the feeling is is that if you're going to come in and bring all these good vibes and and try to change the uh, the personality of the franchise, maybe you just start and see if 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 coming in and spending a little money and 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 uh, and trying to increase the uh, the talent on the roster for the group that's already there makes a difference. And then if it doesn't make a difference, then you clean house. What do you think about the boys trade? Uh, was that I think that that's an important move for Darcy Regeer going forward. I think he's kind of struck out the last few years at the deadline. Players just haven't worked out. You know, Zubris didn't really work out the President's Trophy year, and and last year certainly was last year more. No, last that year was, was two Tor- years ago. Uh, Torres. Torres was last year. Neither of those work out. Torres came in fat and hurt and. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Torres was kind of a <laughs> was a total bust and of total course, disaster. True, true to form, he goes to uh, he goes to uh, 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 Vancouver and just lights it up for a while. Right, and and the same thing was with um, with uh, initially when we brought in from Mont- uh, we brought in uh, Spacek. He was you know the big year that we need him. He was overweight and not of shape, and then the next year we lose Jury and Briere, so he comes in all healthy, ready to finish in tenth place or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't don't understand hockey players sometimes. What are you hearing about uh, the Coyotes? I saw you had a little bit of a write up uh, today on Puck Daddy about uh, the sale and how Batman is down there. Th- that they got to move that team, right? Well, the way it's working now, and Batman's had this discussion um, all day down in. Uh, down in in Glendale, he's, he's met the media, he met team personnel, arena personnel, and then he's making the rounds tonight on on NHL Network and stuff like that. Um, basically, the way it's working is that we've got dueling threats of lawsuits. You've got the uh, the Goldwater Institute, which is this uh, watchdog group that's making noise about trying to sue the city because it claims that the city's deal with this Matthew Holsizer is in violation of the state constitution as far as just giving money away to businesses. 
And, uh, and the city, meanwhile, is like, uh, they're, they're thinking about uh, filing a countersuit against the Goldwater Institute because they claim that the threat of the other lawsuit is preventing them from selling the bonds that they need to sell in order to finance the sale of the team. So you got this whole kind of, uh, you know, Mexican standoff between these two groups. So Batman and Bill Daly head over there today, and it's kind of like a PR showing. You know, it's, it's, it's a way to say, we're still in control, we still have the team, we're still here to try to facilitate the sale. But at the same time, it, it's to say, look, you know, this has kind of gone on long enough. Yeah. This is the last step in the process. And if, if you guys don't complete it, then we're going to really think about checking out other options. Bettman says that he's not going to put a timeline on the situation because then it's like, uh, you know, giving, giving the Goldwater Group uh, an idea of how long they have to wait this thing out in order to kill it. But, uh, but it's clear that, you know, it's gotten to the point where if, uh, if, if something happens and whole size or decides he's not interested in the team anymore, then they're screwed. Then, then they're gone. And there's no one else that's going to come in and rescue this team um, you know, there ain't going to be no Jerry Reinsdorf group or anything like that. It'll be gone. He's the last hope to keep that team in Phoenix. I just think that, you know, personally as a hockey fan, I hope he's gone just because I'm, I'm tired of some of these markets that just don't support the team. I mean, the Sabres played there a few weeks ago. My dad was down at the games. He had a wedding out there, and he's just like, there's just nobody there who seems to care other than the 4,000 Sabres fans that were there because they live there now. And, you know, Florida seems to be the same way, I mean, especially because they, they haven't won. I mean, they would maybe get – they had some support when they won, and I guess that's true of any team. But, I don't know, I would just like to see some of the – some of these teams in a better market. I mean, Phoenix has been a good team for the last two seasons and doesn't seem to make a difference. Well, and why should it make a difference? I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I know what a lot of people have said about the attendance and the, the fan interest and that kind of thing, but I just don't feel like you can – you can assess the market all that well when, A, they haven't really won anything in a decade, and, B, when they finally do win, it's under the cloud of your team is going to move or you don't deserve the team or this kind of thing. I mean, it, it, think about it this way. I mean, the, the, the summer after they made the playoffs and set a franchise record for points in a season, they were unable to market the team because the NHL still owed it, owned it and no one knew if the team was going to be there Two years from now, mm-hmm. so it's it's almost impossible to gauge the market when they've been unable to stabilize the market for the last you know two three seasons. Um, but as as far as as far as the team moving, I, I I think it has less to do with 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 fans in the stands um, because, like I said, you win and it changes everything, and right. it's got more to do with whether or not the building and the ownership is stable. And uh, in Phoenix, the questions are: is is the Location of the building ever going to make it so this can be a successful franchise? And there are questions about that. And then the other aspect is, do you have the ownership? And, and the longer this thing goes, that becomes the real issue. Well, I know in Buffalo we're grateful that the NHL is patient with situations like this and doesn't just, <laughs> doesn't just move teams on a whim. Yeah, in yeah. Ottawa and Edmonton. I mean, yeah. People forget about that too, right? I mean, it's only been a do- about a decade ago. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, if, if a team does need to move, what, what cities are out there? I mean, Winnipeg, I think, was thrown around, and, and maybe is Kansas City still interested? Or is it pretty much just the Canadian, t- Canadian cities of Winnipeg and Quebec? Or would there be another city in the mix that you hear? Um, no, I think that the, the, if, if there needs to be a team that moves fairly rapidly, it's going to be the Winnipeg. Um, they've got the ownership in place. They've got a building. There's obviously been a clamor to get a team back there for quite some time. Um, I, I think if the NHL had 
had its way as far as where they'd want to stick the next franchise, then I think it'd be Quebec City. But they just I don't think they're ready for a team yet is the problem. You'd have to wait a few seasons to relocate a team there. Um, so if the Coyotes or the Thrashers have to move, I feel like it'll be Winnipeg. But if they had the Druthers, I think it, it, they would prefer it to be Quebec City. All right, well, let's kind of move away from, from that. We can talk about that in the offseason probably. Kind of more excitingly, though, the Western Conference is incredible. Third place, San Jose has 82 points, and 11th place, Na- place Nashville has 75. Have you ever seen anything like this? <laughs> um, I think we've all seen teams packed in tightly like this but not necessarily the dynamics of the of the race changing every day it's like every single day you look at the standings there's a new team out of the picture a new team in the picture it's pretty remarkable um it's pretty remarkable that uh that uh, all of these teams keep winning and and like i said you know you had teams that looked dead to rights teams like the Calgary Flames for example uh and the Blackhawks being another one i think that all of a sudden rocket up the standings and another team drops down and then the roles reverse and and that's been the real exciting part of it i think yeah i mean the the blackhawks were in 11th place i don't know a couple weeks ago and you know they're sitting in fourth with 80 points all of a sudden and jonathan taves and patrick kane are tearing up it's like holy cow now a lot of people would say the logical thing to do in a hockey with a hockey game is regulation wins should count as three points since you have the overtime games that are worth three points but this is the exact reason that the NHL would probably never do that, right? Because they want to keep these teams close together. So you have 12, 13 markets that feel like they have a shot. Right. No, exactly. I mean, it's, it's sort of an artificial manufactured parity, but, uh, but, but that's what they're going to wind up doing. And, and then what you see towards the end of the season is, is the, the fact that these charity points that teams get for losing in overtime, you know, really make the playoff races in one way exciting, but in another way really frustrating if you're a team that's, you know, like the Devils, for example, you know, six or eight points out, all of a sudden the teams in front of you start earning these points for losing, and you're saying to yourself, well, that ain't necessarily fair, is it? But uh, it is what it is. But, I mean, they have taken a step in the right direction this year by at least the tiebreaker now. Wins minus shootout wins. Yeah, they take away the shootout wins. How do you track that? (laughs) Is there somewhere where it lists how many teams someone has won, how many games someone's won in a shootout? I was wondering that today. Um, no, you'd have to kind of look look at the uh, the stats page on on NHL.com to really find out that stuff. So it, the shootout's a weird animal, right? It's like they hide the shootout goals yeah. as far as the stats go. They hide the shootout wins. It's it's almost like they they want to minimize it as much as they can, although they they continue to you know propagate it, its importance as far as uh, ending actual hockey games with a skills competition. <laughs> and it's tough to minimize something that on the last game of the season last year, you had you had a shootout basically deciding who was going to be in the playoffs and who was going to be out. Yeah, it was a de facto playoff game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, ending with a shootout. But in the Western Conference, which one of those teams or two of those teams do you like? Like who are, I think Chicago has kind of emerged as a really solid contender again, but which teams do you like in that big pile there? <clears throat> Well, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that wonders whether or not Anaheim's going to be able to make the cut if they don't get Hiller back. Um, Nashville is a team that I really wanted to see add one more offensive piece at the deadline, and they didn't do it. And that makes me kind of wonder whether whether they're going to have enough gas. And, and if you take those two teams out of the equation, then all of a sudden you're looking at Minnesota being the other team that's really in the mix, unless, uh, unless Columbus makes some kind of a, a run here at the end. And if that's the case, you know, I, I still think that... Um, I still think that despite their goaltending and, and despite some of the 
impressive performances they've had, and they're going to get Miko Koivu back. It'll still be the Los Angeles Kings and the Coyotes finishing ahead of them in the standings. Um, uh, you know, it's going to take one of these teams fading, I think, for Minnesota to sneak in. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be a really inter- interesting first round. Um, it doesn't look like Vancouver is going to draw Chicago in the first round, which is probably, <laughs> right. uh, you know, they're able to sleep at night at least for a little bit. But uh, you're going to have matchups in the first round that are going to be really interesting. I mean, it may not be the Blackhawks, but it could be the L.A. Kings in the first round of Vancouver, and that'll be a hell of a series. Yeah, if it were to, to shape out as it is now, it would be Vancouver, L.A., Detroit, and Phoenix, San Jose, Calgary, and then Chicago and Dallas, which would be a pretty good first-round series, too. Right. In the Eastern Conference, it's not quite as packed, but there, it still is. How about the Penguins? I mean, they haven't before tonight, they hadn't won a regulation game in 14, yet somehow they have 86 points, which is now tied for Philly with, for the most in the conference. They're kind of just doing it with smoke and mirrors, or I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to the Penguins. <laughs> no, it ain't smoke and mirrors. I mean, it's good coaching, it's good goaltending, it's it's uh, Letang. you know the, the the play of of the of the blue line that yeah. got healthy. It's yeah. the play of uh, of Jordan Stahl. It's it's been it's been a really remarkable run, and, and I think that the more um, the more attention that the the Penguins get for this run, the, the more I think. Um, Dan Bilesman is going to get attention for the Jack Adams. Um, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in. I think it could be kind of a crowded field, but there's no question that the, the coaching job that he's done in scrambling the lines and, and doing whatever they can to, uh, to stay competitive with both Sydney and Malkinow, it's been, it's been ridiculous. And, and I don't know if it's going to help him like you know, television helped Kennedy in the 60 election over Nixon, but he looked awesome in 24-7. I mean, he came in, <laughs> didn't he come over as just, like, so cool, like, just, like, the coolest coach. Just, who wouldn't want to play for that guy, you know? It's like, well, I, I think he's a guy that has, has definitely, definitely has the respect of the players and definitely has the respect of, um, of, of, of his peers and that kind of thing. So, you know, 24-7 was, was eye-opening for us, but I think he's always had a pretty good reputation. Um, but again, like I said, it's, it's, you're talking about a field where you're definitely going to have Guy Boucher in there. Um, you know, you're, I don't, I, you know, if the Devils ever made the playoffs, you definitely have LeMaire in the top three. Yep. And then you look out west, uh, Vigneault, uh, ba- I mean, Babcock's done an incredible job. And then you're going to have a lot of these teams that are sort of in the mix in the west, um, that are to get respect too. I mean, there was a time I think when Mark Crawford was probably pretty high on the list when when Dallas was doing what they were doing. So, um, you know, uh, Balsma should get really solid consideration. And and the bottom line is that when the broadcasters vote for the Jack Adams, it's usually a team that's overcome long odds, incredible adversity, that sort of thing that that winds up uh, getting their coach n- named Coach of the Year. And I don't know if you could possibly have more adversity than losing two. You Superstars, know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest star in hockey, and then and then Evgeny Malkin. I mean, you you lose that, and then what do you got? I know it's been really close lip, but have you heard anything about Crosby? I mean, is are we going to find out probably pretty soon? They're just going to shut him down for the season, or is he getting better? Is he doing anything? I mean, it seems like trying to find out information about Crosby is like a national security secret or something. Well, there he's he's had he has a few good days, and then and then symptoms return. It's kind of been the way it's been for the last months in, in, in him trying to rehab this thing. I mean, you know, for what it's, whatever it's worth, I don't, you know, rehab is such a, a weird word to use because it tried to, it's almost like you're talking about a normal injury and, and a concussion is anything but. But, you know, I've, I've long said that, I, you know, I, I still feel like if Crosby becomes symptoms-free 
by, I don't know, St. Patrick's Day or, or maybe, you know, a couple of days after that, there's still a chance for him to get back on the ice and get in game shape for the playoffs. But, you know, there does come a point where you say to yourself, was it worth it? Um, you know, clearly this is a Penguins team that doesn't have to win this year. They've got everybody under contract. Uh, they can improve the team in the off season. They'll get Malkin back next year. I mean, it, it's, I'm not saying they should push their chips in the middle of the table and, and call it a night, but it's clear that this is not a year where you need to rush Sydney back because there's some window of opportunity that's closing. Right. And, it, I mean, he's such, a, he's such a rare athlete in the sense that not only does he mean a lot to the Penguins, but he really does mean a lot to the league in general. And um, it, it's too bad because we've seen some superstars like Pat LaFontaine and Eric Lindros comes to mind who've kind of gotten some concussions and, and never were the same. So hopefully they don't rush him back and, and he can just get healthy. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a tricky thing. Cause, I mean, I think the league's better with him, with him, with him in it. Um, but I don't think there's any question that, and, and this is to the, to the, to the, uh, to the benefit and, to, and to, as a tribute to the growth of the NHL, that they're able to survive without him. I mean, it's, it's still going to be a really highly rated playoff. It's still, it's still been a very exciting regular season after, after Crosby left. It's not to minimize his impact, and it's not to, to, to say that the, uh, the NHL is, is somehow a better place without him. But it is interesting to see that you still have compelling matchups and, 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 and star players that, uh, that grab headlines like Taves and Aginla and, and Ovechkin when he's on, um, where it's, it's, it's not as if, you know, it's the North American Soccer League and Pele got hurt, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. It's like, it, the, the, the league is it, a lot of talent for young players. They can still forge on, but you definitely want him back. You mentioned the Adams Trophy before. What about the Hart Trophy this year? Crosby's not going to win it this year, obviously because uh, of the injury, but it seems like there could be some different names kind of in contention than we're used to. Maybe the Sundins and Stamkos might be the top three. Uh, Marty St. Louis could sneak in there. Ovechkin's making a late push. Who do you like for the Hart Trophy this year? It's a, it's a weird year because, you know, the, do you give it to Daniel Sedin? Um, do, you, do you go Sedin, Sedin, back-to-back? I don't know. I don't know if you do. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very strong club they have out there, and I'm not, not necessarily sure if Daniel did the, the heavy lifting that Henrik did last year, considering Henrik did a lot of it without Daniel in the lineup. Right. Um, as, as far as Stamkos goes, well, you got San Luis there kind of running, running as his wingman, and, and there's no question that, that Stamkos has kind of fallen off the pace from the beginning of the season. Um, Timmy Thomas should probably get some, some, uh, some accolades for the way he's played this year for Boston. But again, that's a, that's a goalie, and that's always a tricky proposition. And Ovechkin, I think... You know, even if he, he runs up the, uh, the point standings, it's going to be difficult to give him the award because of uh, just the, the, the off year he had in, in goal scoring. There are a couple guys that I think deserve a lot of attention, but I'm not quite sure if they'll get enough of it. Brad Richards is one. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, Dallas kept on winning with him out of the lineup, but there's no question that his contribution at the beginning of the season and, and the way he made that Louis Erickson line role is one of the reasons why they're in a playoff, they're in playoff position. And then Henrik Zetterberg, um, I, it, again, yeah. it's one of those, it's, it's being a Red Wing. It's like the only guy that on the Red Wings that ever wins anything is uh, Lidstrom with the Norris and then Datsuk with the Lady, Lady Bing. 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 Yeah. It's like no one can actually win anything else. But you look at the year he's had offensively through a lot of different injuries in that lineup, and he's been a very steadying force for them um, in a lot of games. He, there are some games where he takes a, a minus three, but, but most of the time he's been a very steadying force. And, and I think that... Um, uh, he, he's an underrated heart candidate, but I'm not, again, I don't, 
I think it's extraordinarily difficult for anybody on the Red Wings to actually break out and win that award. What about Jonathan Taves? This kind of uh, underrated. Yeah, uh, he's he's candidate. late to the party. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and you know he's now top ten in scoring. He's going to get enormous uh, enormous support from the media because they all kind of admire him and you know from the Olympics and, and what have you and and really respect what he's been able to do with that team. He carried the Blackhawks in February. Yep. Um, the question is whether or not, you know, if they fall short of a division title, if, if uh, you compare it to the rest of the season, you know, it was, was, was a, a good two months enough to win the Hart Trophy is the question with Taves. All right, we got just a few more minutes here with Greg Wyshynski from the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports and Puck Daddy Radio at Sirius XM, probably the second-rated show there right behind Howard Stern, right? <laughs> I don't even know for the second rated show on our own network. <laughs> uh, it kind of today is one of those black days in hockey where seven years ago today, uh, Bertuzzi and uh, Steve Moore. Steve Moore happened. Um, you wrote a little piece about it today on the on the site. How do you think hockey's changed in the seven years since since the incident? Well, what I what I found really interesting in, in looking back at it is that I, I feel you know there's a lot of things that have obviously been completely changed because of the the, the, the the incident. I mean, Moore's life has changed. Bertuzzi's career was changed. A couple of things really stood out for me. First is the uh, the way that <laughs> you, you look back at the, the quotes leading up to that game and you have a guy like Brad May talking about how fun it is going to be to get revenge on Moore and yeah. there's a bounty on his head and that kind of stuff. And he claimed it was all tongue-in-cheek, but it's still something that was said at the time and it's something you, you're not going to hear now because the closer you get to that kind of language, the, the more you're going to draw a comparison to the Bertuzzi thing. So it kind of reset the, the language uh, for hockey in, in, in a way. And the other thing that I, I just find infinitely fascinating is that what other sport in the world, or what other league in the world, do you have a situation where a player has active litigation against the, an opposing coach, and these teams play each other yeah. with some frequency because they're in the same conference, and yet you never hear about it. You'd figure if it was any other sport, if it was the NBA and a, and a play, and like Carmelo Anthony had an active uh, lawsuit against a coach in the league, you'd hear yeah. about it every time those two teams play. But but yet we've become, I guess, so blasé about the the Bertuzzi legal wranglings and the fact that this is such a protracted situation that we've just grown comfortable with it. But I, I just find that, like I said, I just find it infinitely fascinating that you've got a player in the league that's, that's, that's going to, you know, next year go to court and sue <laughs> a coach in the league. It's, it's remarkable. That is pretty crazy. Now, how do you think, uh, will the Bertuzzi, the, the kind of, because of the Bertuzzi incident, is the game coming up in Long Island between the Penguins and the Islanders different than if that, game earlier had happened before the Bertuzzi incident? Are you, are you saying, like, the, their next matchup? Yeah, you know how, like, the last time the Islanders and the Penguins played, it was one of the most hideous games in a while in terms of yeah, violence. Sure, sure. And and they're going to play again now, here soon, and there's going to be a rematch. And like you mentioned about how Brad May before said that there was a bounty and things like that, my question was just, is the Bertuzzi incident a reason why there hasn't been as much of kind of a big deal made about the rematch between the islanders and the penguins coming up no i think it's more along the lines of that we know that the nhl's got a history of of putting putting this fire out before it starts you mm -hmm. know what i mean so yeah. it's like a, 
as much as we want to believe there's going to be a melee or, or there's going to be even more stuff, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what made the whole thing so ugly in that, in that game was the fact that it was a revenge game. And they're, they're going to have that thing on lockdown. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, we've seen it time and time again. Every time that we see a, a large, uh, chaotic mess of a night between two teams, the NHL's got a way of making sure it doesn't happen a second time. Now, on that same topic, is Trevor Gillies the biggest waste of space in the NHL? No, he's playing a role. Uh, and again, I, I've, I've gone back and forth with people about this behind the scenes that uh, used to play in the league, and, and they kind of say the same thing, which is that, you know, Gillies is just some guy. He, he's, he's a reckless player, but he's a, just a blue-collar kind of no-good Nick. I mean, he doesn't really have NHL skills, I don't think. If you want to call him useless, that's fine. But at the end of the day, he's playing a role. And, and, and that's the one part of the disciplinary equation that just seems to be completely lost on the NHL, which is that who, who puts him in these situations? You know, it's not as if Trevor Gillies is calling his own number right. and climbing over the boards and coming out there and doing this stuff. So, you know, it's, it's great to, what he has to, to, do. To, to rather to find the team. But if you don't find the coach, if you don't find the general manager, and if they don't take some personal responsibility for putting guys like this on their roster, then we're never going to get we're never going to get through this. I mean, it, Trevor Gillies is a, is an instrument of uh, of of however the coach and the general manager see fit to have him used. Do you think part and, of? Oh, sorry. And and that's and that's and and that's uh, you know it's not to excuse what he's done, and uh, and I, I mean if like I said if the NHL wanted to really send a message they should have they should have. Uh, suspended him for the season um, if they're going to ignore what he actually did on the ice, which doesn't warrant 10 games. But again, it, it comes down to how a team uses this player, and, and whether it's Trevor Gillies or Matt Cook or anybody like that, um, the transition needs to be made from what can the league do to, uh, to squash these guys and their actions, and what can the teams do from a personal responsibility standpoint to ensure that this, these, these guys aren't out of line. Do you think some of that has to do with the fact that the NHL is so seemingly random with discipline as far as teams and players go? Well, I, I think every time that we have a situation where we feel there's an, in, an inequity in, in the supplemental discipline system, it's because of the way they've handled it in the past. I mean, the Gillies thing is a great example. You know, you, you constantly hear over and over and over again, well... You know the injury to the player, the injury to the player, the injury to the player. Well, Clutterbuck at the time of the suspension wasn't wasn't known to be injured, and yet it was still a ten game suspension. So you know, you tell me how, how much is right. the injury to the player? Wait, if, if, Clutter, if Clutterbuck had been injured at the time, was that fifty games? Right. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, they just yeah. they just need like a chart or something. I mean, it, it's a total crapshoot as to what these. Uh... Yeah, it's it's political. It's inconsistent, and and again, it's. It's uh, it, it's the bed that they've made by by being ha- by having had by having been this incons- inconsistent for the last year or so, or you know more than a year, maybe five years. One last thing, kind of a fun way to end. The Florida Panthers—they're kind of turning into the spot where dreams come true, huh? Tonight, Tim Kennedy played his first NHL game of the season down there, and just a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> Hugh Jessman uh, finally made his first appearance in the NHL. Played two games, got five minutes in penalties, and apparently got sent back down. But yeah. you know, he was the the last person from the 2003 first round to play an NHL game. Um, yeah, which was remarkable. <laughs> remarkable. But the the thing that that was incredible is incredible about it is you posted on on Puck Daddy that Hugh Jessman was going to play, and it gave me a reason to look back at the 2003 first round. Has there ever been a first round in the history of sports with that many stars? I mean, in one birth year. 
There it's, was there was another year in the in the NHL where the first round was pretty remarkable, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was all it, it's it's the other year that people say, oh, that's the deeper, deepest first round ever kind of thing. Right. But this one I mean, for me, again, you look up and down that chart, and it, and it is absolutely remarkable, absolutely remarkable to see how many guys Eric have made it through, Stahl, and then yeah, and then even beyond the first enough. round. I mean, you're talking about second rounders and third rounders too that were also, um, you know, just. NHL players, and, and again, it, to have Jessamine <laughs> kind of Jessamine, linger, and linger and linger and then finally, uh, finally make it through was, uh, you know, perverse. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, Jessamine was at Dartmouth, and um, his, one of his line mates, his, his one, the year that he was drafted, was Lee Stepniak, who yeah. uh, is from Buffalo, and he, found, he got drafted in the fifth round that year. And I, I actually talked to Lee about it, and he said, you know, thank God for Hugh Jessamine. Because we had so many scouts in the building that year that that was a big reason I got drafted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jasmine finally makes it to the NHL after squandering around the AHL and the East Coast Hockey League. And like I said tonight, Tim Kennedy made his NHL debut. It's like, go down yeah. to Florida and see if they, if they need a guy. I mean, they might yeah, take Yeah, or else you're basically a, a de facto AHL team at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy blog. Uh, on yahoosports.com and Puck Daddy Radio, which is one of my favorite things each day after Thanks. Howard Stern turned into that. But uh, thank you very <laughs> much for joining us on the Sportscasters. Anything else? Did we miss anything? You think? I think that covers it. All right. Thank you very much, Greg. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Much appreciated, boy. Thanks, yeah. thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. And you're listening to my boyfriend Steve on the Sportscasters. And, oh yeah, Don's on it too. All right, we're back. One last segment here at the Sportscasters. Been a great show, jam-packed, two long interviews with Dave Damashek and Greg Wyshynski. So unfortunately, we are not going to get to the Sportscasters at the movies this week. We will try to do it next week or in the near future. The good thing about Major League is it's not going anywhere. Right. We can talk about it anytime. Yeah, so, basically our nod to Charlie Sheen this week for going yeah, crazy. We just didn't get to it. And I guess, in a way, there's enough Charlie Sheen out there to <laughs> quench everyone's thirst. So we will definitely get that to that uh, next time. A couple programming notes. Next week, we are already packed up. We are going to have Warren Packard, whose name means nothing to nobody, but he is the president and founder of a really cool website called Thuz.com. T-H-U-U-Z. Dot com and that website is kind of set up where he gives alerts when games are close and we're going to talk to him about how to utilize that for the NCAA tournament and also next week we're going to have uh, Zach from AccuScore on and we're going to have our bracket challenge it's us, us against the computers so we're going to do the brackets and take a look at the brackets which will be released on Sunday night so and also we're trying to see if we can get a few minutes with Luke Wynn He's really busy, obviously, with the tournament, but we're going to try to track him down for either a little bit of time next week or uh, either that or the following week to talk about the Sweet 16 round. But we will get Luke Wynn in the next couple weeks. It's just a matter of of scheduling. Don't forget to check us out on the Internet. Uh, There should be some blogs up this week. You can find that at thesportscasters.blogspot.com. You can also find us at our website, www.sportscasters.com. You can find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash the sportscasters. And, of course, we're on Twitter, 
at sports underscore casters, at garbage radio Don, and at diversity23. Still trying to think of a different name. I'm working on it. Pick four. Disaster for me last week. I went one and three. Uh, I, the only game I won was my pick of Ohio State over Wisconsin, which actually Ohio State pounded them 93 to 65 to yeah. kind of secure their spot as the number one overall seed going into the tournament. Um, I lost on those brutal Miami Heat 24 to nothing run. They lost 99 to 96 against the Orlando Magic. LeBron James did not get a triple double, which my, was my bold prediction. He had 29 points. Uh, six assists and four rebounds. Um, and I was wrong on the game of the week. Duke did not beat North Carolina. They lost 81 to 67. Donnie went three and one to make up the difference and pick up a game lead on me. He's 20 and 13 overall. I'm 19 and 14. And he won with the North Carolina over Duke. He picked Penn because we had a Penn graduate on last <laughs> week. And they beat, they beat Dartmouth 70 to 58. He won his bowl prediction. The Sabres did get exactly seven points in the four games in between the shows. But his pick of the Flyers over the Rangers did oh, not pan out. Not even close. The Flyers lost that game. Seven, seven to nothing. nothing. Yeah, thanks for nothing uh, from a Sabres fan to the Flyers. All right, Donnie, pick four. The game of the week this week is Thursday night. The Lakers travel to Miami. They take their talents to South Beach to play the Heat. I am going to go... With the Lakers, because as we talked about earlier, the Heat can't beat anybody good. No. They cannot. They are 0-8, I think, was the stat against the top four teams in the league. Hideous. I am also going to take the Lakers for all the same reasons, but the number one reason I'm taking the Lakers this week is because it's so much fun to root against LeBron <laughs> James in the Heat. Yeah. So I will gladly do it on Thursday, March 10th at 7 o'clock. That Kobe, game's on TNT. Kobe Bryant seems, uh, I can't think of a parallel to it, but... Every time that they've matched up, it seems like he's come out on top. Like is everyone wants to call LeBron the best player in the league, but and they're both hateable players too. But yeah, but Kobe does always come out on top of those those rivalries. Uh, my host choice game, I'm going to go with Wyshynski's alma mater, Maryland, to beat North Carolina State. Okay. And, and if, that's the ACC tournament? or uh, Yes, it's the first, first round of the round. tournament. Yep. Okay, very good. My host choice. I need a win, so I'm going to hope that the Red Wings can beat the terrible Edmonton Oilers Thursday, March 10th at 7 o'clock. I'm going to take the Red Wings to beat the Oilers on Thursday in Detroit. My worldwide leader pick. Uh, I had a different pick in mind, but I want to redeem myself as far as the NHL and NBC games go. I'm going to take Chicago to beat Washington in Washington on Sunday at 1230. Uh, Chicago's been rolling. Washington has kind of been just not. So I'm going to hope Chicago can keep their streak alive on Sunday. Trivia question. Since January 1st, who has the most points in the National Hockey League? Who? It's got to be the Devils, right? No, player. Oh, player. Goals and assists. Taves? Jonathan Taves. Is it? Yeah. And third? Third, I don't know, Pat Kane? Patrick Kane. Yeah, I figured. All right, my worldwide leader pick. This is a game I'm actually excited to watch. Uh, It's Wednesday, 7 o'clock on ESPN. It's the Northeast Conference Final. Robert Morris Colonials versus the Long Beach Blackbirds. Why would I want to watch that? Well, actually, 
I was just talking to my friend Matt from Pittsburgh about Robert Morris, the hockey team. And when I was find, trying to find a pick for the World Wide Leader and I was looking around, I saw Robert Morris's name. And then I had never heard of the Long Island Blackbirds and I looked into them a little bit. They've won 12 games in a row, Donnie. Nice. 12 games in a row, number one seed in their conference tournament. So I'm going to take the Long Island Blackbirds to defeat the Robert Morris Colonials in the Northeast Conference Final tomorrow, 7 o'clock on ESPN. My bold prediction. I actually came up with two of them in case the first one doesn't seem bold enough. Although lately it seems more and more bold. I'm going to take. I'm going to say the NFL owners and the NFLPA will come to an agreement by next podcast. And if that's not bold enough, I have another one. That's bold enough. All right. Because I think it could very easily go the other way. Okay. So I'll give you that one. My bold prediction: Kobe Bryant. His average points per game is 25.1. So I'm going to say, hopefully this is bold enough, that in the game of the week against the Heat, he's going to go over 35. Yeah, sure. 10 points over the average? Yep. So over 35 for Kobe. I got to say, just as an aside, you gave our records, and I know I'm one game up now, but I think that's pretty impressive considering eight of the picks have been quote-unquote bold. So, I mean, if you take those out of our records, we're doing pretty solid. Granted, some of them are gimme games against, like, Oklahoma and stuff to keep keep our records up. But we're doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, combined, we're 39 and 27. Yep, it's not bad. So, doing pretty well. So, if you're betting with us, you're making money. Yeah, if you could find someone to take bets straight up. Right. Which I'm sure you could. They're out there. Yep. You might need to lay a little bit of money, but that's all right. All right. Just one last time. Don't forget to check out our friends at the Buffalo Wings. Uh, it's www.buffalowingshockey.net. Dot com. Buffalowings.net. Right, buffalowings.net or buffalowingshockey.com. Yep. Right, so either way, you can find them there. They're getting ready to start up their registration. All kinds of youth hockey options, all kinds of adult hockey options. It's kind of our first sponsor, Donnie. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's our first sponsor. We're Buffalo scratching Wings. our back, we'll scratch their back. Yeah, so make sure you uh, check them out. And uh, even if you're from out of town, check out. Uh, they got some videos up from the record that they set. The yeah, longest, they did that for charity, too. Yeah, the longest for Roswell Hospital and cancer, um, the longest consecutive hockey game. I think they raised about $15,000. Yeah, not bad. Which isn't bad for a local roller hockey organization. But that's it for, for today. We're going to see you next week with Thews.com uh, and AccuScore.com. Can't wait. Cue the hip. Hipper, not cute. They were. I turned the lappy off. Mm. Little cut and paste. All right.